1: maybe like a level or two level kind of above me, I'll start looking at them to say, wow, I like what they're doing. I would like to have their job. You know, if they can do it, let me see what I can learn from them so I can do what they're doing one of these days.
0: My name is Espri Devorah, host of the Women in Tech Show. can know what resources, mentors, and life situations they accessed in order to get to where they are today. Enjoy. This week's Women in Tech podcast episodes are powered by Strayer University. Strayer University is the go-to place to get your MBA online. You can get your entire MBA via Facebook. What? Yes, it's true. And they have incredible video content to learn from. Amazing instructors, a powerful leadership team, Strayer. Check them out at Strayer.edu. Thank you, Strayer, for believing in Women in Tech. Welcome back to the Women in Tech podcast here coming at you from Seattle, Washington at Microsoft's Build. Yes. And I'm here with Julia. Hi, Julia. Good morning. (laughs) Good morning. First thing in the morning, I saw everybody running in as the doors opened here at Build. Really exciting. So we get to start our day celebrating women in technology, of course. And you are one of them.
1: Go ahead and introduce all of us to you and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Great. Um, so my name is Julia Lewson. I'm a corporate vice president for Microsoft. I run our developer tools division for Microsoft, which includes all of the tools developers use to write and build their software. And when did you first get into technology? Did you have tech in your house when you were growing up? I was very lucky. I sure did. Uh, my father was a math professor, and my mom was actually had an engineering degree, very early for her days. So I was growing in a household where it was very common to discuss tech topics and never thought otherwise that girl couldn't do tech.
0: Wait, your mom had an engineering? That is
1: incredibly
0: uncommon. That is true. So would you say your mom was your biggest inspiration or who was your mentor when you were growing up to kind of follow the trajectory into a tech profession later.
1: Yeah, actually, let me give you a little bit about my background, yeah, because be a great. notion of mentor didn't come to me until I arrived in the United States, maybe in the workplace yeah. later. Uh, I was born in China, uh, in Shanghai, and then I spent most of my you know elementary, high school years in Beijing. I came over to Seattle, very sunny Seattle today, <laughs> <laughs> and I attend University of Washington for my undergrad, and I joined Microsoft right after I graduated. So that's kind of my kind of academic journey, if you may. Um, and then when I was growing up, sort of the the mantra at the time, it is, you know, boys or girls are equal from a kid's perception perspective. In the U.S.? In China. Oh, in China, okay. In China. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, and then the other very interesting phenomenon in China, which lasts till today, is that if you want to get into college, there's a common college entrance exam, which at the back then was seven different subjects. And doesn't matter if you're a boy or girl, you basically have to take the exact same exam. And if you get enough points, you get to go apply to top colleges stuff. So it's very, very points driven from that perspective. At the same time, it also kind of said, doesn't matter if you're a boy or girl, you have no excuse to not to be good at math, which is overweighted in some ways. Um, and you just have to be good at it. So when I was growing up, I think there's a number of uh, inspirations. Uh, my mom was one, and she was also working in Beijing University, one of the top universities. And they were building a computer to input basically like the Adobe in Chinese for newspaper pu- publishing and printing back then. And uh, there were other top engineers in that department who were women. And uh, the other inspiration, I will say that as I was growing up, there was a group of very smart girls around me. And then one of them was a participant of the very first Chinese Mass Olympia team that they sent for high school students to the United States. Yeah. And she won the first place. So like as I was growing up, there were a lot of girls who are good at math. They were fantastic. So it never kind of occurred to me that girl couldn't do STEM. I love that. I love that. Oh my gosh, this is so good. And then walk me through
0: how you started educating yourself in the tech space early in your career, eventually leading you to where you are today. But let's start there.
1: Yeah, actually, let me tell you a story that I actually got a slightly different perception once I arrived in United States, which is super interesting. When I came to U.S., I was, you know, I went to University of Washington um, and the first couple of years went well until I joined, you know, I applied into electrical engineering department. That was what my major was in. And I very much remember one of the first intro class to electrical engineering. It was a very senior professor. And, you know, students asked him a very innocent question. It's like, hey, professor so-and-so, what kind of student do you think will make the best electrical engineer? And the answer he gave kind of floor me at the time. And, you know, imagine me being brand new into the department, just got admitted, very excited. And this professor said, well, you know, the students I think that will do really the best are the ones who were, you know, hanging around in the garage, playing with, you know, electronic circuit board back in high school. And I'm like, okay, I have so many problems with that particular statement because uh, clearly growing up in China... We have no garages. Yeah. <laughs> we have no cars. Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, that's out of my repertoire. Uh and kind of like because the curriculum that we grew up with is not a there's not an opportunity to even go buy electronic circuit board. Like these are just not the average day to day that, you know, I live in. At right, all. right. And no, you know, yes, my dad had a cardboard of parts for different things and he built his own TV and stuff, but that just sort of wasn't We never had time to do that because our entire focus was to score really high points for the national entrance exam, right? So I'm like, what is he saying? What is he saying? Is he kind of saying if you don't have the background, you will not be a good kind of tech or electrical engineer student? Um, And that was sort of an interesting moment I still remember to today. And fortunately for me, I was a little bit of a, you know, sort of like, I don't believe in what you say, and I'm just going to prove you wrong kind of attitude. So I'm like, okay, whatever. I'm just going to ace this class Mm -hmm. and to kind of prove you wrong. And so that was kind of the mentality I took. But I can certainly see lots of lots other people might potentially get discouraged by the signal that was sent by a more authoritative figure like a seasoned professor. I
0: find that often that the one thing that we have in common as women in tech professionals is that we we're like Wonder Woman you know we we don't it's like any kind of negativity or a uh, you know obstacle or something we look for ways to overcome it it's a constant like nope not gonna stop me how am I gonna overcome that That's now right. and it's almost like life is a video game and we're overcoming all the
1: levels uh, so. <laughs> and that is true and that was also I think once I was in the department to your point and the point of the podcast of she can do it. I started to look for role models. And much to my surprise, when I went through the entire catalog of electrical engineering department, I only find one woman professor. And I don't remember many other professors name, but I do remember her name, Dr. Shapiro. That was the only woman professor for the entire electrical engineering department. And actually, she was also the I believe, the only woman professor for the computer science department. She was joint professor for both. And it's
0: so crazy when so many leaders in technology were women in the beginning. So it's, I wonder what happened between then and time moving forward, that it became less and less. But focusing on, on your story, I mean, you've become a leader in the tech space yourself. How did you end up at Microsoft? How did you end up here and in this role?
1: Yeah. So after I graduated, um, I was debating between grad school and working and Microsoft happened to have a recruiting event on campus, you know, during my senior year and I applied and I got in. So I started Microsoft to say, Hey, I want to give this company a try. And I started as a developer writing code for one of our office product back then. It was very exciting. <laughs> I love your smile. As a newbie, in you know, in a yeah. very, very male-dominated company, I remember there were buildings, like small buildings, on Microsoft campus. When I think it was building one, for the entire second floor, I was the only woman. So I was the only one who gets to use the women's bathroom. Imagine that. <laughs> so crazy. <laughs> it is a little crazy. Um, and I think that what the really, one time you don't have to wait in a line <laughs> in it all it other areas, line, and you're you like, you have to
0: wait in a line. It was never a line. And the,
1: the most fascinating thing Is that you can go, you know, like towards you know later part of afternoon, and see all of the seats are still up. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Definitely the Women in Tech podcast. Okay. <laughs> all right, That's so you,
0: controversial. So you're building, you're you're learning to code for the first time, essentially, or you studied coding. But I studied coding. You're and are applying it for real for the first
1: time. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And this is my real job, right? Yeah. And I learned. And one of the things I loved about Microsoft was really that I feel like my working day is really a learning day. Yeah. I learned so much. And then this is sort kind of like, and I was like, wait a minute. You know, the realization came to me a couple of months after the job. I was like, I could pay to go to grad school to learn. Or I can get paid on Microsoft to learn. Yeah. I think that choice is pretty clear what I'm going to do. And that is actually one of the things that kept me at Microsoft for so many years was just the great phenomenal you know smart colleagues I get to work with every day and really the you know the intellectual exchange and all of the idea sharing and the learning that I get to do every day. But coming back to and you've been at Microsoft for how many years now? I've since 92. So
0: crazy. I'm a lifer. There's so <laughs> many of you. Yeah. Like, Microsoft, if there's one thing I've gotten from the, the interviews I've done so far, is Microsoft has a game plan to go to colleges and then scoop up all the engineers before they go anywhere else, because there's way too many of you that found Microsoft
1: straight out of college. Well, I think that is actually one of Microsoft's superpowers. I think they were one of the very few companies very early on so dedicated to the college recruiting team. And college recruiting is always one of the top, you know, you like percentage-wise, the top kind of incoming of our talent. And um, we're very lucky, and once you, you know grow up there, you really like there, and had to say, the company treated me very well, and I really enjoyed my journey here so far. That's awesome, okay, yeah. so how did you learn and evolve from being in that junior level role to the leader you are today? Well, I think that you know, once I got into corporate, right, and Microsoft is corporate America, and one of the, this is actually where mentor become important, and I don't think that was even the word that people talked about 25 years ago. Right. And what I more intuitively did is I, I started looking for women who were maybe like a level or two level kind of above me mm-hmm. in my surrounding areas. I started looking at them to say, wow, I like what they're doing. I would like to have their job and scope and role one of those days. And very much along the lines, you know, if they can do it, let me see what I can learn from them so I can do what they're doing one of these days.
0: Like the podcast! Like the podcast! (laughs) I love it. And what would you say you do? It sounds like you're very passionate about having a mentorship culture in general. What do you do today yourself to be a mentor to others?
1: I actually make myself pretty available. I actually have many mentees. Uh, across Microsoft. And then there's a particular program that one of the very senior women started at Microsoft, which I love. And then she basically programmatically, uh, bring women who got promoted into the partner rank, which is very senior rank at Microsoft and make sure there's actually, you know, CVPs, corporate vice president, actually proactively mentoring them. So I'm, you know, I signed up on that program. I get pings all the time from people know me across the company. Yeah. And to say, hey, I have, and a frequently man. they'll say, hey, I have a fantastic, very senior woman on my team. I would love to you know, introduce her to you and I set up the mentorship. And I pretty much take most of those requests. And then people discover me when I do a lot of internal events and things, and they come reach out to me after the fact. And I do, at this point, I do have a, a little bit of recommendation, is that I found mentoring to be most effective when people are a couple of levels ahead of you, but not like, five, six levels ahead of you. Like, I don't think I will be a great mentor for someone who just fresh out of college today. Why is that? I think that there's a number of reasons. One is that the problems they're dealing with day to day are kind of, particularly at work, are so removed from the level of problem that I'm dealing with. And then, like, even some of the techniques I would use back then may or may not be actually uh, applicable to them. I'll give you a very concrete example. I love this. So insight. my son is 15 years old, and so you know, like a couple of years, two, three, four, five years after I gave birth, to my son, when people come to me about mentoring how to be a new mom and stuff, I have a lot of experience to share about how to manage work, how to manage being work and mom at the same time, all of that. I still have some advice to new moms today that's applicable at work, how to think about prioritization of your time, all of that. But the techniques of, like today you have a phone. I have a smartphone, which is 24-7 next to you. You can always get work mails on that. And how do you check in? Where back then, it was the modem days. I had to go to my uh, my office in my house. Going to turn on my PC and go dial in. Like It's just a different day and age. And so the techniques you use to go manage that, how do you think about, you know, the social, is just a little bit different. So true. And, you know, if, if I look like the social sort of a phenomenon, my son, 15 years old, they're on like Snapchat and Instagram. <laughs> they're not even on Facebook. Yeah. And I'm barely on Facebook. Then there's a whole generation entirely on Facebook. So I think just the habits of working and how you interact and relate to each other evolves over generations. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm kind of conscious like the new challenges and the mentalities coming out of college today is kind of different than what I experienced. So there's, well, I still have general advices I give to people, but the more specific ones of how to deal day to day, I think it's best left for someone who are out of college, three years, four years. I think they'll relate to each other much better and build that strong connection. I think for mentorship, one of the very important things is people have to be willing to be transparent. You have to relate to each other. So it's kind of like, you know, I think it's friendship and mentorship together. And so that deep personal connection is important. It's sometimes a little bit hard to have a deep connection, maybe with your aunt, just because that generation, that the topics, interests are maybe a little
0: off. I didn't think about it that way. I think that's so useful and actually something that's never come up, so I really appreciate that. Um, Three last questions. One, I always like to ask, what's an
1: obstacle that you've
0: successfully overcome? How did you overcome it and what did you learn from it? One of the
1: obstacles I experience all the time, even very recently, is that in the tech world, we will be at conferences like this, and as you noticed earlier, that tech conferences have very low women of women participation. And one of my experiences was as uh, someone who will be answering questions at the booths and you know, etc. Early on in my career, sometimes even today, there just people have this unconscious bias. They come over, they look at you, they think you're a young woman, etc., and they ignore you. They wouldn't bring questions to you by nature with unconscious bias. They will potentially think that you're not technical. You're not one of the technical people they can come have a conversation with. I experienced that so many times in my career it's distracting. To a point, you know, for a while, I was like, I really despise coming to conferences. Because if you're on stage, you know, doing a session, people recognize you. But if you're just kind of, you know, in the booth helping with questions, etc, it was not the most positive experience, I will say. A woman will experience that in so many different ways. You know, I have learned, for example, when I walk into a executive briefing session in Microsoft, And, you know, I look young for my age and experience. So the very first thing out of my mouth is to explain my title, how many years experience I have with Microsoft. I can just say I can see the way people look at me instantly become different.
0: Interesting. I love that because it comes up really often. And I love that you found a way to mitigate people. The first impression. impression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all about the first impression. Yeah. And
1: this is human bias. You know, like we have all gone through trainings. that like People flash a photograph yeah. at you. You can kind of write down your first impression. Once you, you know, explain what this person does, you know, what experiences, then flash a picture again. Your impression will change. Yeah, completely, yeah. Completely, right? This is just kind of, you have to overcome that kind of bias. Totally. I and, love that. And that is one of those things where I think women will experience far more than men. I, that, that's fantastic so we have a couple more minutes um,
0: one i love to ask this to our moms because it is such a beautiful thing to be a driven ambitious leader and be a mom what kind of advice do you have for our moms that aspire to maintain their
1: careers and also be a loving dedicated mother but my number one advice is that really manage your time very carefully and be at peace with the decisions you have made on how do you spend your time. One of the very common things working mom will experience is this guilt. I'm missing this particular school event. Oh, I'm not volunteering as much in my school. Am I spending enough time with my kids? And how is that going to you know, impact their growth? In the end, if you're confident, you're happy, your kid will pick up that vibe from you. And they will be happy. And I'm sure that, you know, all of these moms who have this level of worry are great moms. They will be fine. But I think people constantly struggle with like, am I spending enough time and, you know, at work? Am I spending enough time with my kids? And that kind of mental energy spent on worrying is actually not healthy. Make a decision and be in peace with yourself. I love it. How can people connect with you? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, so uh, that's actually my primary form of social. (laughs) Yeah, perfect. Can you spell your name for us so everybody can find you on LinkedIn? Sure, it's uh, Julia, uh, L-I-U-S-O-N. Perfect. Thank you so
0: much, Julie, for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast. You've been absolutely inspiring. So exciting. If you want to connect with more extraordinary women in tech, remember to go to the Women in Tech Facebook group, womenintechvip.com. Takes you straight there. Or say hello on social, at Women in Tech Show, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I will talk to you guys. See you guys, hear you guys in the next episode.
1: Bye. Bye. Hi, my name is Julia Lewson. I lead the development of our development tools, product like Visual Studio, Visual Studio for Mac, Visual Studio.code, and our .NET platform. Microsoft is a technology leader that empowers every person and every organization to achieve more. I'm based in Seattle, Washington, and you're listening to Women in Tech.
0: This week's Women in Tech podcast episodes are powered by Strayer University. I'm Andrea Backman. I am provost and chief academic officer at Strayer
1: University. We are on to things that other people aren't quite on to. And I think it's because we have a mix of, for example, former Disney executives, and then we have documentary
0: filmmakers, and then we have educators who care deeply about changing the mold of what exists today. And the combination of all of those people is unlike any other industry institution of
1: higher education.
0: Check them out at Strayer.edu. Thank you Strayer for believing in women in tech. I've been interviewing these outstanding women in tech here at Microsoft. It would not be possible if it wasn't with these four incredible men celebrating women in tech around me. Hello, guys. Hey. So tell me what this podcast central is all about.
2: I'm Bharat, and we started this uh, two years ago at every big Microsoft event. Uh, Richard Campbell... Carl Franklin, uh, Dimitri Lylan, and and myself, we've been trying to get folks to talk about all different topics of technology and how Microsoft relates to that.
0: It's really an entrepreneurial project within a large corporation. Mm -hmm. It's driven by the heart, it's to attract different storytellers, if we could call podcasters that, Mm -hmm. that you all really admire is to give women an opportunity to share their stories and their journeys. Mm -hmm. And so you've really all come together to make it possible. Um, So Microsoft Build isn't just another dev corporate tech conference. It's a, a place to share a powerful story and have it reach beyond the wall. Yeah, it's
2: really amazing how much we, we can do sometimes at a big company like Microsoft. I, a lot of us and the company itself really tries to make sure that whatever we're doing, we're, we're making sure we're being inclusive, both from listening to the people that are outside the company talking to us and making sure that inside the company we have a diverse kind of set of voices and faces coming right. out and talking on podcasts and doing our keynotes. It, it, it really is an amazing place to work.
1: What's great
0: about it is that you get people who don't necessarily think about Microsoft you know, and their podcasters and their podcast listeners hearing uh, you know, these stories and technology uh, from Microsoft executives, people that they would not necessarily have access to uh, just you know, living inside their uh, JavaScript world or Ruby or whatever it is. And then, you know, we bring them here, and we, we give them access to these people, and they take it back. And now they're they're expanding their reach, and they're expanding uh, their uh, knowledge to include all the great stuff that jives with their technology back home. Carl started DotNet Rocks back in 2002, which is uh, about two years before the word podcast even existed. I came on board in 2005 on Show 100... And here at Build, we recorded show 1550. Yeah, we've been doing it a while. A little while. Yeah. And I also have a show called Run As Radio, which is an IT show started later, in 2007, but yep. uh, I think i got 580 in the can now. Yeah. And Dimitri, none of this would be possible without you signing off,
2: I hear. Well, it was a bit crazy. So yeah, I'm Dimitri Lylan, and I've been kind of with this effort since the beginning. Rich was like, I have this crazy idea. I just said, okay, let's make it happen. People didn't think we could do it. was too late. It was no budget. It was, you know, whatever. all these stupid excuses? So I came up to love the I think I can find the money. I think, Rich, you can help us organize it. I need somebody to help us run it. Can you
0: help? Where can they find out more about your shows, more about what you do online? Well, our show is .net rocks. It's, you know, period, N-E-T-R-O-C-K-S or .net rocks.com, D-O-T-N-E-T-R-O-C-K-S.com. Or just search for it in your favorite podcast.
2: Uh, Directory
1: Directory We're
2: in them all We're in them all I'm just Barat on uh, Twitter Barat spot at, at Twitter but, Can you uh, spell
0: that for everybody? Uh,
2: B-H-A-R-A-T-S uh, The letter S uh, And then B-H-A-T so, um, Perfect And Dimitri? I'm easy on Twitter It's going to be uh, Lyland.com. That's L Y A L I M D O T C O M. That's my Twitter handle it's, I'm easy to find Perfect Easy
0: Thank you so much for putting together Podcast Central and making this magical experience happen for everybody and spending the time on the Women in Tech podcast. Yeah, thank you, Esprit. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL, Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.